So it's fine. It's all good. Yes, I am indeed the uncle of Nathan's child. Let me explain the last two days that I've had to all of you. So on Friday night, I still hadn't yet held Scout. I went and saw her at the hospital, obviously, but I wanted Talisha to hold her before I did because, you know, trying to win some brownie points there slash delay me having a child a little bit as well. <laughs> so we're sitting at the dinner table at Nathan's house and then Nathan goes, so you've got to hold my daughter? And at this point, I was nervous. And when I say nervous, my hands were shaking. I thought this whole child's future is in my hands right now. And my mother-in-law goes, it's fine. And just more or less tries to smoothly do it, but it didn't happen like that. In my mind, I freaked out and just started doing this. Nathan's like, what are you doing to my child? I said, I don't know, man, help me right now. Nathan's hand appears from nowhere, goes, gotta cradle the neck, bro. Pass it over to me, and I sat there, and I sat scared for the next 40 minutes, rigid, terrified. So I gave it back and thought, well, there you go, I've held the baby once, I've done that, life is good. Went round there last night, and Chanel goes, oh, I didn't get to see you hold my child. I said, oh, you should have been there, shouldn't you? But at that point, that was not the correct response. So my wife goes, you should hold the baby, Geordie, and gives me those eyes. I'm like, oh, where are we going here? This is all right. So anyway, I held the baby for a second time, and it was just as terrifying at the first. But Nathan put on a YouTube video on the TV for me, so I learned the five different ways she can hold a baby. <laughs> so I am now proficient in the left hand under the rear, the right hand over the neck. But when it comes to that twist, I have a metal rod in my arm, so I can't bend that far. So they're like, bring her in closer. I'm like, I'm like Wolverine right now. I can't move anymore. So that was my last 48 hours in holding children. So what an experience it has been. It is fantastic to be here with all of you this morning as well. And I am very excited to have Nathan here. And it truly is a miracle, Scout's arrival. And I'm so thankful for the people that prayed for Nathan the whole way through, not just when it was all going down, but leading up to that as well. We are a community of prayer, and sincerely from the bottom of my heart, I thank you for that. So as I shared last time, I am indeed getting older. Now, I know some of you go, Geordie, you're not that old, and firstly, thank you very much, but let me tell you what happened two Fridays ago. I went to the CBD for a conference, and I messaged Paul. I said, hey, we'll meet up for a coffee. It'll be great times. And so I'm walking up the street thinking, why are we going to this coffee shop that's ages away? So I get in front of it and I call Paul. I'm like, hey, are you here yet? He goes, yeah, I'm standing in front of the coffee shop. I said, oh, that's odd. I'm standing in front of the coffee shop. And then it dawned on me. There were two coffee shops with the same name. So I more or less ran two kilometers in 20 minutes. This is how I know I'm getting old. The next day, I could not walk. <laughs> So there you go, it's true, you get older and older. But as I get older, the feeling of nostalgia that I talked about last time, it is happening all the time. I think it's as we head to Christmas, I'm, I'm starting to think about all these Christmas movies that I used to love. And then it coming into the end of a decade, I thought, man, what are the best 10 movies I've seen in the last decade? So I made a top 10 list. I'm not gonna read it out to you because this is church people, but if you wanna see, you come see me afterwards. But this week as I was preparing and I was seeking God, I thought, how do I practically demonstrate to our community so we have something to ponder afterwards what God was saying through Scripture to me this week? And I thought, the egg analogy was great last time, but there's no eggs this time because I did have to clean it up off the carpet and I'm not good at cleaning, but that's all right. But I want to ask you all a question this morning. Who remembers Spot the Differences? Give me a wave. You know how you'd open up kids' magazines, there'd be two identical images if you don't know what I'm talking about, Jimmy, throw it up on the screen. That is a spot the difference. 
So I thought about solving it together as a church, but we're a little bit more highbrow than that, intellectual in this church. So we're not going to do that. But if you want to, send me afterwards and I'll give you the image. There's three for all those looking and pointing at the screen right now. Well done, youth. Well done. I feel like I'm back at youth days. But I wanted to, I wanted to get a little practical this morning as well. So I'm actually going to ask you to do something for me this morning. What I want you to do right now is I want you to turn to the person next to you. It could be your right or your left. That's completely up to you. I want you to spot the differences between each other. Go. All right, all right, bring it in. Some of you are clearly having a little too much fun. I don't know who Sean Ruse was just talking to. It was himself. That's a bit terrifying. But what I want you to do now is I want you to turn back to that same person and I want you to tell them something you find unique about them and why you like it. Go. All right, bring it back in, bring it back in. I'm not giving you much time because we are a very chatty church. So based off that quick little experiment, who could agree it's easier to spot the differences about one another? Give me a way if you think that's a fair assessment. And as a result, when we spot the differences of someone, we can actually see what makes that person unique. But it takes on a whole different feel when we shift our perspective from simply focusing on what is different about us to actually celebrating what makes them unique. Our differences go from being something that divides us to something that is actually uniting us. And what I felt to explore this morning with everyone here through listening to God's word is that practical truth. Our uniqueness shouldn't be something that divides us, but it should actually be something that unites us. I mean, if we look all around us, uniqueness is everywhere. It's literally strewn throughout all the creation. You look at plants, you look at animals, you look at how the sky is constructed, how water hits the ground, you look at the plants, you look at stars. All of us here, we are literally surrounded by uniqueness of creation. But in a lot of cases, when it comes to you or I, when we see someone else's God-given uniqueness, our first thought isn't, well, how awesome is that? No, in a lot of cases, our response is to sometimes look at ourselves and say, why aren't I like that? And it's from that thought that sometimes we use what is different about a person to actually build a case against them and to make ourselves feel better. We use their uniqueness and our own as a reason not to have them around. But that is not, in fact, what our Lord and Saviour calls us to do. We see the words of the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 4 verse 3 to the church at Ephesus to make every effort to keep unity in the Spirit. Uniqueness and unity being intangibly linked with one another is not a new idea by any stretch of the imagination. But in the hyper-individualistic society that we find ourselves living in, especially as believers, that is something we should actually be reminded of. And I was reminded of this idea when I was reading the words of Paul in his first letter to the church of Corinth that was written in 57 AD, most scholars agree on. And we're going to explore this letter that was written over 1,900 years ago today. Because these words are still so applicable to you and I sitting here this morning. Because the Bible is not just words on a page, but it is divine and living word of our wonderful Saviour. Our uniqueness shouldn't be something that divides us, but it should be something that unites us. But before we go any further, for all my note takers out there, thank you for being extra spiritual. The title of my message today is this, 
one of these is not like the others. That is a very deep reference, and if you get that, come and tell me after the service. I'll be quite impressed. Youngies, I don't know how we're going to go with that one. But are we excited to get around God's Word today, church? Are we excited that we can come here in freedom and explore what God wants to say to us? We can draw closer to Him. So before we go any further, I'd love all of us to stand. We're actually going to give this time to God before we get into the reading of God's Word. Lord, I thank you so much that we can come around your living word, that we can dwell on your goodness, your grace. We can glorify you, Father. And I pray we leave here this morning with a deeper sense and understanding of who you are. But we don't just hear good words, Father, we're challenged. Into the depths of our soul, Father, let's not walk in this place and walk out the same. I pray right now through your word you speak to us. Don't let it be my words, Father, but let it be your words and let your Holy Spirit flow throughout this whole service. We love you so much, Father. Amen. Amen. If you'd like to grab a chair. We're going to be camped out in 1 Corinthians 12, verses 12 to 27 this morning. So if you have your Bibles with you, awesome. Turn to that passage of Scripture. If you don't, no stress. I have constructed some very nice slides that you can have a read of as well. But I think it's always important when we come around a passage of Scripture that we actually look at the context of that passage of Scripture. The author, the Apostle Paul, is writing to the church of Corinth which was the capital of the main province in what we would call modern-day Greece at this time. And what is really fascinating and important to note when we look at this letter to the church of Corinth is where Corinth was actually positioned. Because of its location, most maritime train between Rome and Asia Minor actually passed through Corinth at this point in time. So you can imagine the eclectic, unique bunch of people that would be in this city at all times. And because of the maritime trade that was so successful, Corinth was a place of extreme wealth and extreme poverty, which was so strewn throughout the Roman Empire at that time. So when Paul's writing to this church at Corinth, he's not writing to one group of people. He's actually writing to a very diverse group of people. And if you look around this morning, we are also a very diverse group of people. So let's turn to 1 Corinthians 12, verses 12 to 27, and let's read together. For just as a body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized in one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honourable, we bestow a greater honour, and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honour to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honoured, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. 
there is so much we can pull out of that passage of Scripture. It is so rich with what Paul is saying to this church. And I am conscious of the time because we have a five o'clock service tonight. So hopefully I'll be wrapped up at around 4.55, which will be great. Relax, relax. A few of you like, go for it, Geordie. No, Pastor Charles would not be happy. But I'm going to look at three points that Paul is saying to the church of Corinth because I truly do believe biblical truths are just as relevant to us today as they were when they were written back then as well. So if you're taking notes, my first point this morning is this, unity and diversity. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13 reads, For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. Jews or Greeks. Some translations translate Greek to Gentile, so you or I, slaves or free. Talk about a unique mix of people. But this is a snapshot of the city of Corinth at this time. And I find it such a beautiful thing when the church actually reflects the community outside of as well, in that diversity. And I thought about such unique groups of people, I thought to myself, well, where does that really happen in today's society? The obvious analogy that sprang to mind was an AFL match. Don't let my physique fool you. I am not a sporty guy. So I'm not going to talk about AFL. I watch one game a year and it's the grand final. And yes, I yell a fair bit just because it seems like fun because everyone else is doing it. So I thought, but where else does a seemingly random group of people come together and be unified by a shared experience? And it came to me at a heavy metal concert, of course. <laughs> metal concerts are an experience, let me tell you. Usually you rock up to a dicey looking venue. If you look like a child like me, you always get ID checked and they're like, how old are you, mate? I'm like, I'm 28 and married. They're like, mm, sure, mate, but it's fine. You walk downstairs and straight away you are instantly, tainously hit by this wall. And it's not a wall of music. It's of heat and sweaty 20 to 30-year-olds. It's an experience, let me tell you. Usually the band goes on stage and chaos and shoes both on and off the stage and it's quite a visceral experience. There's quite a lot going on in there. Is there a better way to spend a Saturday evening? I mean, I ask that question. But there's yelling, there's mosh pits, there's a lot of black T-shirts. I mean, come on, that's a good night out right there. But what I always find fascinating about these experiences, or any type of live music experience for that matter, is the crowds they attract. At metal shows, you would think it's basically going to be a whole bunch of sweaty, tattooed, long-haired ladies and women in black T-shirts. But recently I went and saw a heavyish local band with a few of the boys from here. And I was so surprised to see the makeup of the audience. There was the usual metalheads, there was the usual hipsters. It's Melbourne, hipsters everywhere. But there was also people in nice suits, nice clothes, young women, old women, people that could be my parents' age. And I thought, man, this is quite an eclectic group of people in there. They had different backgrounds, different ages, different occupations. But for that moment in time, they were all gathered for a unified experience. There was no judgment. There was no condemnation. There was no trying to tear each other down. There was a tangible sense of unity and connection in the room because we were all unified by watching this band. And I had one of those profound moments like you usually do when you're standing at a heavy metal concert. I looked around and saw a whole room of people getting along together. I thought, wow. Shouldn't we be as a church setting the example for them, not the other way around? We're united by the creator of the heavens and the universe and our everlasting hope in Jesus. So why do we, like the church of Corinth, 
get unity and diversity wrong sometimes? Shouldn't we be setting the example for all those outside the four walls of the church? Not the other way around. 1 Corinthians 12, 13 reads, For in one spirit we were all baptised in the one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and we're all made to drink of one spirit. Our belief in our heavenly Father, who has created us all uniquely and has brought us all together, should be what we hold on to. And that isn't something that happens by chance. We can see that in Paul's letter, the church of Corinth, the community of believers that was very new to the faith, weren't staying united. But we as a community of believers, we remain united in God's presence, God's spirit, and we will see him move. We will begin to see our individual uniqueness used to glorify him, and that will strengthen the church. Unity and diversity don't have to be two separate points, and they shouldn't be, because we are each called son or daughter of our Father in heaven, who loves us all so much. Our uniqueness shouldn't be something that divides us, but it should be something that unites us. My second point today is this, kill comparison. They are unique, and so are you. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 14 to 20 reads, For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members of the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. I love that passage of scripture because it evokes such a visual image when we see what Paul's writing as well because we all have a body, don't we? We could all understand what he's trying to say. But how many times have we felt like a foot saying to the hand, hey, I don't serve a purpose, so I'm out of here. Hey, I can't sing as good as you, so I've got nothing I can add. Hey, I don't have as much money as you, so I can't add anything. Hey, I'm not as spiritual as a guy standing up there, so what can I add? Has anyone ever felt like that? I'm sure most of us, if not all of us, have. We've looked at someone and thought, gee, I wish I was made with their set of skills, their uniqueness. Gee, I wish I had they, their life. They look like they've got everything together. And that is what was happening in the church at Corinth. And it was dividing the church. Members of the community that were bound together in the same body, drinking from the same spirit, were comparing themselves to one another. And it was not good. And for all of us here this morning, it can be so easy to fall into the comparison trap. Social media and the society we find ourselves in has only amplified our sense of FOMO to nearly unbelievable heights. And for those wondering what FOMO is and making sure that's what I said, FOMO is the fear of missing out. When we go into our friends' carefully curated, constructed and social media posts, we can often sit there and go, man, how is that person on another holiday to the Mediterranean? Man, those shoes they got are unbelievable. How did they pay for that? We look at our holiday plans to lawn and we then go, oh, they don't look that glamorous anymore. We put on our trusty pair of two-year-old vans that go, oh, they're not as good as when I got them. But in that moment of comparison, are we reflecting the attitude Christ calls us to have? Are we saying, that is awesome that they managed to go on that holiday and save up for it. That is awesome that they finally got those new shoes they've spent so much time working for. Because when we shift our attitude and reflect what Christ would want us to do, 
it not only changes the way we see that person, but it actually changes the way we see ourselves. And when we apply that to the way that we see each other as a church and our uniqueness, and we begin to kill comparison and champion one another, that is what helps change a whole community. Verse 17 to 20, if the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members of the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. Comparison, and specifically social comparison, is not a new concept. In 1954, social psychologist Leon Festinger first put forth the idea of social comparison theory. Basically, this theory states that how you perceive other people is where you get your self-worth from. That could be a good thing, is what he goes on to say when you use it for motivation. But however, he also notes it could be a very destructive thing. Because all of a sudden, you find yourself dissatisfied with what you have. You find yourself comparing yourself to unbelievable heights, unbelievable situations. And that was written in 1954. We stand here over 60 years later. Social comparison can actually end up hurting us. We become the ones who are dissatisfied. We become the ones full of guilt and remorse. But we serve a God who can free us from guilt and remorse, so why don't we better embody that? Comparison was causing division in the church at Corinth. And if we're being honest, it could still happen today. But we can learn from the Apostle Paul's letters to the church at Corinth. There are many members, but one body. So let's be a church that embodies this, that lives out this lesson of the Bible and truly live them out. Let us be a church that celebrates the uniqueness of each other, especially when we see that same uniqueness used to glorify our Saviour. And in doing that, we will free ourselves as individuals. God made each of us uniquely. And when we remember that, we are not allowing comparison to build and threaten unity. By stopping comparison, we are learning to celebrate uniqueness and that will lead to our uniqueness uniting us. There are so many things we can learn from this letter. And as we see, the words written to this church in Greece still ring so true to us as we sit in a church in Bandura, Victoria. Time and space may separate us from the church of Corinth, but the living word of God goes beyond that and is just as relevant today as it was then. The final point that we're going to look at together this morning is this. Every part of the body is important, including you. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 21 to 27 reads, The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honourable, we bestow the greater honour. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honour to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honoured, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. Every single person sitting in this room this morning is a part of the body of Christ. Whether you've been here a long time or this is your first time 
you are welcome here. You are important. And for me, that passage of Scripture gives me so much hope because we can see from verse 25 that God has designed the body, us, to take care of each other. And if we can be a little bit real with each other this morning, that's not always easy. There are some personalities you meet and you're like, yeah, we're going to be best friends forever. This is awesome. You look out for them. They're naturally your people. But it doesn't say only look after the ones you like, does it? It says all members. That includes the one that are harder to love. Now that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honoured, all rejoice together. Each and every single person here has been shaped so carefully, so lovingly and so uniquely by the creator of the heavens and the universe. And when I was preparing this message, I felt that for someone here this morning, you need to hear that you weren't a mistake. You have this sense that perhaps God got it wrong when he made you. And if that is you this morning, you weren't a mistake. You've been created uniquely and your Father in heaven loves you so much. He sees you and he's proud of you. You're a son of the living God. The body of Christ, the church, is a beautiful, wonderful, eclectic, and let's be honest, sometimes frustrating and unique thing. But we all belong to this body. And we're each so vitally and important to this community because we have each been uniquely created to bring something to this mix. And I love that this morning we literally have people on all different parts of their relationship with Christ. We have some people who have had a personal relationship with God longer than I've been on earth. We have others who may have had a relationship with God when they were younger but figured, you know what, this God thing's not for me and you're only here today to keep your parents happy. Or maybe you're sitting here this morning and you're saying, Geordie, I have no idea what you're talking about. I have no idea who this God is, who this Jesus is. But no matter where you are on this spectrum, you are important. You are loved. You are cared for. And in this room, you are surrounded by family. Because no matter what you're going through, there are people sitting in this room that will stand with you, be it in tears or be it in rejoicing. We sitting here in this room this morning are more than just a unique group of people. We are sons and daughters of God and we're the body of Christ and we are family. I might get the band back up if I could, please. Each of us have a role to play in this family and that is where your unique, God-given uniqueness comes in. Perhaps for some of us, our uniqueness is that we're really good at listening. And let me tell you, that is an incredible thing. Because sometimes we don't need people to give answers. We just need people to listen. For others, maybe you just have this unique and natural way that you can encourage people and you're just a good person. And you know what? There's heaps of people in the room like that because I'm constantly encouraged by you. Or for others, it's hosting people well. It's playing music. It's ministering to our children upstairs in UHK. Perhaps it's taking those harder personalities out for a coffee and making sure they feel like they belong. No matter whatever it is, you are all uniquely gifted to fit into this community and to use use your strengths to build this community. But I truly believe in the depth of my being 
Our uniqueness isn't just for the church. It isn't just for this family. It's for those outside the four walls as well. When those outside of the church see unity in such a unique group of people, they stop and go, hold on, what's different about this group of people? How can they love each other so much? How can they care for each other so much? What is so different about them? Our difference is that we're united by the hope and salvation of our Heavenly Father who came for everyone, not just those in the church. Because those people we walk past on the street, in the shopping centres, even those that cut us off on Plenty Road, they are important to God. And they have a place right here with us. They are welcome here. So how do we use our uniqueness to unite the church? Celebrate one another, champion one another, rejoice with one another, suffer with one another and be there for one another, especially when we don't want to be. Because being a part of a family requires sacrifice and humility. I won't stand here and tell you that it's all roses and pony rides, even though we have ponies coming for Christmas, little plug there. But it is hard sometimes because we are all at different places with our faith. But with that in mind, let's never forget that Jesus shows us never-ending grace. So let's reflect that same grace to one another. Because when we walk out what we've received, that is what helps draw other closer to Christ and strengthens the body. Find out what your uniqueness is. When was the last time you simply sat there and said, God, Father, what have you gifted me with? What can I bring to your body? What can I bring to your kingdom? And don't think anything is too little to bring to God. Because as we've seen in today's passage of Scripture, is that all parts of the body work together and no part is greater than the other. What makes you unique is nothing to be ashamed of. And you have been placed here for a reason. If you can't seem to figure it out, Talk to someone else in this beautiful, unique family. You are not alone. You're a part of this family and you're important to it. And as I begin to close, my final thought is just as much for me as it is for anyone else. Let's never forget that each of us, including ourselves, are important to the body of Christ. Our identity is not in what we do but is in the fact that we belong to our Heavenly Father who loves us. And when we truly grasp that revelation ourselves, deep down in our very souls, the way we see others will completely change. We won't stand here comparing ourselves to that person or that person. We will have very security in the very fibre of our beings that we are loved, that we belong to the God of the universe. We will free ourselves from comparison. Imagine if we didn't subscribe to this hyper-individualistic society that we find ourselves in. Imagine if we have leavers said, you know what, it's not about me, but it's about us. It's about the body of Christ and I'm a part of that. That kind of radical thinking is what not only changes churches, but it changes communities, suburbs, schools, workplaces and cities. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. We are the body of Christ. And our uniqueness shouldn't be something that divides us, but it should be something that unites us.